Yeah, coming off this game and seeing how well Ryan Tannehill looked, you know, he's putting up the numbers, but he also just looks good. You know, you can put up big numbers and, you know, get kind of lucky on, like, screen passes where your receivers take it a long way. And, like, yeah, his receivers are talented, but looking at, you know, we've talked a lot about coaches that need to go. We harped on Dan Quinn for a while, Bill O'Brien. They've both been fired. You know, another coach that's been up in the rumor mill all year is Adam Gase. And there was a very interesting point brought up about this. Um, you know, with Sam Darnold's kind of setbacks this year and, you know, him just really looking off. And then Ryan Tannehill getting out from under Gase's wing in Miami and now being so successful in Tennessee. What kind of a testament this is to Adam Gase's supposed quarterback guru from Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos era. You know, could you get a more definitive statement of how poor he must be actually working with quarterbacks and seeing Tannehill versus Sam Darnold here? I personally don't think so. And I did misspeak earlier. The Steelers and Ravens are in two weeks. So next weekend we'll get another great matchup at 1 o'clock. The Steelers will be in Tennessee at Nissan Stadium to take on the Titans. There'll be a lot to look forward to there. You know, and I guess we should probably stay in this AFC at the top with the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they had another... Good win this week. You know, did it get all too close for their comfort? In the end, certainly, um, against the 1-4-1 and Philadelphia Eagles. But at the end of the day, you know, until Wentz kind of made that fourth-quarter comeback, it looked like, you know, the Ravens had this one in the bag. Maybe they let their feet up off the gas a little bit and give up two fourth-quarter touchdowns. But I still thought, you know, even though this is a close game against, let's admit it, a bad team, this Baltimore team still looks dangerous. Lamar Jackson continues to get it done. 108 yards on the ground. It's just even with him having to run the ball this much against such a bad team, you know, can he really make it 16 weeks? You know, he's played a few seasons now. He's taken more and more hits. This Ravens team, I think, is going to have to get a little better of a running attack um, than just Lamar Jackson. They need a halfback like Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards who both had pretty bad days on Sunday to really come through. You know, the Steelers team and even the Titans team that we just talked about, they're much more balanced on offense, whereas the Baltimore Ravens run the Lamar Jackson show. I personally see that as potentially becoming an issue. Do you agree? Well, let me just uh, go back to the Adam Gase point. It's a mess. I mean, it's just a mess up there in New York, plain and simple. Um, He's not a good football coach, and, you know, that's that's been obvious. Uh, he hasn't been, in, in fairness to him, he hasn't really been given the, the greatest set of weapons to work with. Uh, not a whole lot up there in New York for him to work with, but, uh, I mean, it's been pretty terrible. I mean, they just uh, they just have not shown up to game after game. Um, I don't even know what they could be tanking for. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, you have your guy maybe in Sam Darnold. There was talks about maybe trading him for another pick, but... However you twist it, it's, it's a mess up there, and they have a lot of work to do before they get back to uh, anywhere near uh, playoff contention level. Uh, and as for the Ravens, uh, we, we've been talking ever since the season started um, about their, you know, their questions running the football. Uh, Mark Ingram just doesn't seem to have it anymore. He did leave the game pretty early with an injury, but before he left, he was not looking good. The Eagles' run defense is just about the only thing they have going for them, so... I mean, maybe he gets a pass there, but he he didn't look like the Mark Ingram we've become accustomed to over the years. Um, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, you know, somebody's going to have to figure it out in that backfield, or that might be a big, you know, a big thing hindering them from going to the Super Bowl because they have enough talent on defense. They're def- just watching that game. I know they gave up 28 points. A lot of it looked like it was just luck. I mean, Carson Wentz throwing the ball up on fourth and whatever at the end of the game to Travis Fulgham in the end zone. It just happens to go up and get it. Um, it probably shouldn't have happened. This Baltimore defense is a lot better than that score indicated. Uh, they've only allowed um, more than 15 points in a game against the Chiefs and then yesterday against the Eagles and, and what was kind of a fluke of a comeback, I think. There were some passes that the Eagles had touchdowns on that they dropped, which drives me crazy as a fan. But this Baltimore Ravens defense is really good, and – you know, they're Super Bowl kind of good. And, you know, it would be a shame if their running game, you know, hindered them. And, you know, you don't want to become one-dimensional. Even though Lamar Jackson can run, he can pass. 
Um, you definitely want to establish a running game to open some things up, and they haven't been able to do that, um, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to unless they change something. So they got to figure something out there. Yeah, and it does not get any easier for them. They are on a bye this coming week, and then they host the Steelers, go to Indianapolis to face a very good Colts team, go to New England for Sunday Night Football, host the Titans, and then host the Steelers short week on Thanksgiving. Those are five of the best teams in the AFC, definitely five of the top probably eight teams in the AFC in a five-week period. We'll really see what this Baltimore team is made of. You know, do they prevail in most of those games? Probably. They're still the enough team. And like you said, this defense, you know, you could argue that it was a lot of even garbage time. It didn't end up being garbage time because it got close, but you could definitely see them treating it as such. We're talking just about a team that will be playing Baltimore in a couple weeks that we had been classifying as one of the better teams in the AFC, and that was the New England Patriots. And, you know, we talked about how they have this chance, you know, last week coming off of this COVID buy that they could really get a bad Denver team coming into Foxborough and just run the ball down their throats. You know, it obviously did not go as planned. Uh, Shaq Mason and Sony Michelle both going on the COVID injured list certainly hurt this Patriots team a lot. You know, Shaq Mason, one of the best guards in the league. Sony Michelle, obviously, his performances speak for itself. But they just didn't look ready. And, um, you know, a lot of that you can say they didn't practice, but it shouldn't matter. You know, Denver hadn't played a game in two weeks either. You know, you can really only get that kind of environment from actual game play. The passing game was non-existent. Cam Newton, again, he's been on the shelf even longer, um, playing very little football. But 17 to 25 for 157 yards and two interceptions. He was good running the ball again. But when you have Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, and James White combining for less than 40 yards, that's not a winning formula. And then the defense was what really let me down. They did not give up a touchdown. And, you know, that's always impressive. They gave up six field goals to a pretty bad Denver offense. But Philip Lindsay should not be in a 100-yard rusher against the New England Patriots front seven, as bad as it is. And it just looked like they were not ready to play, which is surprising that a Bill Belichick coach team was not ready to play, and even if they can get it back on track, which I fully expect them to do, um, they're still playing this first place schedule, and they're now sitting at two and three. You know, the Bills lost today, which is uh, very helpful for this New England team, and, you know, they play the Niners next week before going to Buffalo, but they got to start to figure it out quick. You know, we've talked about a lot of teams not getting too far back. It's a seven-team playoff, but we just talked about how good the AFC North is and potentially seeing three teams make it out of that division. You know, Miami even being respectable this year at 3-3. Three and three. Times are taken for this Patriots team if they want to make the playoffs. It's definitely still fully in their power. Again, they got the Jets still. They still play the Dolphins. And they have the Bills twice, so it can be done. But it's got to start happening quickly with hopefully a statement win against Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers next week. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think uh, I saw last night, at some point that uh, it's their first two and three start since 2011 or something like that. So nine years, uh, it just goes to show you how incredible this organization has been over the years. Um, undoubtedly the, the team of the decade, it's not even close. Um, so when you're in this kind of territory, two and three, you know, it, it's kind of easy to freak out. Um, let me just say for the Denver Broncos, uh, it's amazing what getting a win can do in the NFL because they really seem like they, they came out there with energy um, and they came out like they were going to control this game, not the Patriots. And it was their game to lose and it just didn't happen. Um, they came out there and, you know, they, they were able to move the ball up and down the field. Philip Lindsay, definitely a little surprising against the Patriots defense. I would not have seen that coming. Um, but give the Denver Broncos credit for moving the ball up and down the field, not being able to score just because of their lack of weapons in the red zone, I think. But, I mean, they really controlled that game. And, you know, thanks in large part, I think, to that win against the Jets kind of waking them up. And then what happened afterwards with the, you know, not shaking hands, I think that might have lit a fire under them, and, and it should. But as for the Patriots, a lot of mistakes they are not really accustomed to seeing. Um, a lot of, you know, bad offensive line play. Uh, some some fumbling, some you know, just interceptions. You know, not very sure-handed and and not very smooth, um, as most Bill Bill Belichick coach teams are. And, and you have to wonder. I mean, Bill Belichick was asked after the game about, you know, did he think COVID 
and you know not being able to practice might have affected them and um he had he asked them if they wanted like a percentage um which i thought was kind of funny but it just goes to show you that you know it has it has affected him he's not going to come out and say it because you know good coaches don't usually do that but um it has affected them not being able to practice they just don't look a smooth team i think they will be able to figure things out their defense is good enough they're going to win a lot of games i think they're going to be in this thing um but you have to worry i mean the receivers weren't able to make plays and just the lack of receiving on that team um, is just so glaring right now that it's tough for Cam Newton, and I think that leads to a lot of the interceptions and a lot of the, you know, some of the not great play that we've seen, the not shorthanded play that, we, that we've seen. So they are lacking a little bit in the talent department, but I do think they'll be able to figure out the little things and, uh, and contend for this division. Again, we saw the Bills struggle the last couple of weeks, granted, against good teams, but uh, still a long way to go, and uh, the Patriots are still the king of the division, so we'll see. Exactly, and you look at the, you know, as we wrap up the AFC here, you look at kind of the AFC, what the playoff picture could look like. We're probably going to get the Bills and the Patriots. At least one of them will take the division. The other one will be in contention for the wild card. You have the Chiefs probably looking like they'll wrap up the AFC West pretty easily. The Raiders' potential wild card team, maybe. The, the AFC, Dolphins, too. I mean, I yeah, forgot to mention them. They've been unbelievable the last two weeks so you know they, they finished pretty well last year so look out for them too i forgot to mention them sorry all dolphins fans um uh, much respect to that team right now too you never know yeah brian flores certainly does not have much to work with he gets everything out of what he has having that experience working on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball in big capacities before becoming a head coach i think it's done him really well and then the afc north i think it's the steelers and the ravens at the top the other one will definitely make the playoffs. And then you have the Browns also fighting there. The Colts, again, had another good win. They could be there behind the Titans. So that's nine, potentially ten teams that are, you know, solid playoff contenders. Three of them won't make it. But a team that really surprised me, at least, this weekend, probably the surprise of the weekend, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came out and absolutely dominated Green Bay. You know, we've been gassing up Green Bay just like everyone else has. They've looked good, you know, maybe not against the best of talent, but they got absolutely shut down by Tom Brady and um, the Buccaneers. I almost said the Patriots there. Um, but, you know, this Brady-Rogers um, matchup was highly talked about when Brady signed with the Buccaneers that they've only played a couple times in their respective careers. And, you know, to see Green Bay jump off to a 10-0 lead, Tom Brady was losing it on the sideline. You're like, you know, are these guys really going to respond to him after what happened with the down situation? And they did. You know, coming out and scoring 38 unanswered points against Green Bay. You know, that running attack, I think Ronald Jones was really the catalyst of this offense. But seeing even Rob Gronkowski get involved with 78 yards and a touchdown. Chris Goodwin, Mike Evans, again, playing big roles in the offense. Mike Evans, not so much necessarily in the receiving game, but just being out there. He makes such a big difference and, you know, will attract any defense's attention. Brady, again... Doesn't throw for the huge yards, but when the when he needs to make the perfect throw, he makes it. You know, the touchdown pass to Gronkowski was, you know, vintage Brady. It looked like this Bucks team, the defense is playing spirited. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul still out there making de- uh, impact plays on defense, which that guy must be in a time machine or something. But this Bucks team, they've started to come together as a team, not just a bunch of new free agents who are coming in thinking they run the place, you know. This team could get dangerous. As for Green Bay, I'm like that Browns loss. I'm not going to put a ton of stock into this. You know, Rodgers just didn't have a great game, and neither did Aaron Jones, and kind of everything came together for them um, in the worst way possible. But big statement win for the Bucs for sure. And they look like a team that will be right up there with the Saints and the Panthers um, in this NFC South. Yeah, and what impressed me the most, I think, about the Bucks, as good as Brady was and as cool as it was to see Gronk get a touchdown from him, I mean, it just makes you think of all those days between those two in New England, uh, was their defense. Their defense really showed up better than I think anybody would have expected. Um, I never thought, I was never a big believer in Green Bay. Um, there were three undefeated teams coming into this week. Now there are two, and Green Bay is no longer one of them. Um, but I didn't think Green Bay was going to have a – I didn't think Tampa Bay was that good either. Um, and I didn't think Green Bay would have a problem scoring. Um, I think we saw two things in this game. Green Bay is not that good, and Tampa Bay is a lot better than I think people might expect. 
Um, and they just show you that they have the power, especially with Tom Brady um, and, and those weapons he has uh, with Evans, Godwin, Gronk, you know, that, that they can go out there and put up points. But they also showed you they can defend. Um, and they were Aaron Jones didn't do much on the ground. Aaron Rodgers looked like a mess. Um, and they really they were able to slow down a Packers offense that had been really dynamic. And a lot of people thinking they were going to challenge Seattle in the NFC coming into this week, and uh, Tampa Bay just obliterated them. I mean, they shut down everything Green Bay tried to do, took control of the game with the pick six, and never really let it go. Um, so just a, I think Brady definitely had a lot to prove yesterday, especially uh, facing Aaron Rodgers, and he kind of took the lead this week during practice, I'm sure, and he looked like he had that, and Bruce Arians, of course, as well. Um, but, you know, between the two of them, they really had their team ready to go, and it showed. They played as well as the Packers uh, played poorly. Um, and you look up and you have a 38-10 to 10 win because of it, and you're looking at a dangerous team down there in Tampa Bay. They have a lot of weapons, a lot of ways they can hurt you, and they're only going to get better. That's the scary thing as Brady continues to mesh with those receivers and that defense continues to get back uh, to a high level. Um, they're only going to get better, and they, they're going to be a real threat to New Orleans down there in that division. Yeah, and I think the NFC as a whole, they obviously have very good teams, some of the AFC, but it's less defined on who like the best of the best are. Seattle, I think, is the one team that's really separated themselves from the pack but at 5-0. But you look at the second-best team by record in the NFC, and you look at the Chicago Bears. <laughs> you know, we talked about them a little bit last week, I think we got to start giving them stock. This Carolina team's no pushover. Um, you know, they come out, and again, the stat sheet just isn't pretty, but Matt Nagy called a great game for this Chicago team. You know, the defense, again, Khalil Mack is a game wrecker, and he's really what, you know, is propelling this team forward, giving this offense, which is all right with Nick Foles and uh, David Montgomery. You know, he was involved in the passing game, which I liked a lot too, not just on the ground. But with the defense and Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevath, and all those guys, they're giving them a lot of short fields. You combine that with Cordero Patterson's impact in the special teams kick return game, uh, even more short fields. This offense doesn't have to do a whole lot in Chicago, and they've been able to get it done. You know, Cairo Santos had another great game, kicking field goals. He had a 55-yarder. And this team just does all the little things right, so they don't need to be flashy. You know, playing, if I'm not mistaken, a fourth-place schedule is obviously going to help them, too. They don't have a ton of marquee games on their schedule. You know, they obviously have the divisional opponents, which means uh, Green Bay twice, but that also means Detroit twice, who they beat pretty handedly, and, you know, Minnesota, who looks awful. So, like, now this Chicago team... They have a chance to put up a good record and maybe host a playoff game. I don't think that's too far out of the question at this point. I, had, I was actually, I was thinking about the, the scheduling myself, and I forgot that the Vikings had actually made the playoffs in the midst of their terrible start this year uh, to finish in second, and it was the Bears who ended up finishing in third. So still a very easy schedule for the Bears, um, you know, compared to a first-place team like the Packers and even a second-place team like the Vikings. Um, this Bears team is definitely for real. They had the, def the you know they had the defensive weapons to sh uh, to show that they've proven it. Um, they did it two years ago the, the same way and and you know this team is starting to look a lot like that 2018 team. They didn't win a lot of pretty games that year. Um, I, I'm thinking specifically of what I think was their their high point of the season when they beat the Rams on Sunday Night Football. Um, that Rams team ended up going to the Super Bowl, best offense in the NFC, and they shut them down. I think they only allowed six points to them. Um, and it wasn't a pretty, it was a 15-6 to six win or something like that, but it wasn't pretty, but it, it got the job done. That's what this Bears team is doing. I mean, this Carolina team came in red hot. Uh, Mike Davis uh, playing the Christian McCaffrey role, shut down, except for a touchdown. Um, not much. Uh, through the air, Teddy Bridgewater, he had been looking like a really good quarterback, not much. Robbie Anderson, not much. DJ Moore, not much. It's just, you know, up and down that Carolina offense, there wasn't a whole lot uh, for them. And that's thanks in large part to that Bears uh, defense, specifically their uh, defensive front, just, uh, you know, <laughs> causing damage all game long. And that's that's how they're going to have to script it. 
Um, they're not going to win pretty games. This isn't going to change. They're going to be in a lot of close games. But this Bears team is a lot better than I think we thought they were uh, when they were maybe 2-0 and or even 3-0. and This team's the real deal. Um, they're going to be near the playoffs uh, if they don't make it. But no reason to think with this defense that they wouldn't have a good shot. This is a good team. We saw it two years ago. It just didn't work out for them last year. But they got sort of hot at the end, um, and they've carried it right over. So this is a dangerous team moving forward. Yep, so we are pretty much right up on it on this segment, being right at the top of the hour. But we have some marquee matchups that we'll get into, talk about next week. We have the Steelers and the Titans, like I mentioned, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, big measuring stick game for the Arizona Cardinals, who are currently tied with the Dallas Cowboys. And then the Bears play the Rams on Monday Night Football. That'll be a big game for the Bears to try to go on the road to L.A. and try to maybe get another marquee win for their schedule. But it is just past the top of the hour here. 9 o'clock on the East Coast, which means it is time for your WXVU Sports headlines. We will start in the NFL. Right now at 14-10 of the second quarter, Arizona has the ball and are tied 0-0 with the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. In the first game of that doubleheader, the Kansas City Chiefs had a 26-17 win over the Buffalo Bills. In Major League Baseball, Cody Bellinger's go-ahead Home run in the seventh inning propelled the Dodgers to come back from a 3-1 series deficit and beat the Atlanta Braves to advance to the World Series. That'll be tomorrow night when they get underway against the Tampa Bay Rays. NASCAR has reinstated Kyle Larson after he was suspended in April indefinitely. He will be officially reinstated on January 1st. He will is now clear to talk to sponsors, and Chevrolet has said they will look to associate with him again after he has served his penalty. And Mike Emmerich has retired after 47 years covering the NHL, the last 21 as the lead play-by-play announcer for the NHL and the Olympics. Those are WXVU Sports headlines. We'll have the next ones coming up at the bottom of the hour here on the Spin Around Sports with Ryan Pacino and Patrick Connors. Right now, we have the World Series starting tomorrow night, Ryan. Um, you know, my quick initial thoughts on this, the Dodgers obviously came back from down 3-1 against Atlanta. We had talked about that last week when Atlanta was up 2-0, I believe, at the time of our show, that that series was not over, and it definitely was not. This Dodgers team right now has all the momentum in the world. They were aided by some horrible decision-making by the Atlanta Braves who really shot themselves in the foot and you know, had a chance to blow that game open early. You know, Even in the first inning, only getting one run when Dustin May was way out of his league, you know, in Game 7 of the NLCS with both teams having rookie starters. There were varying results. Very good for the Atlanta Braves. Anderson, I thought, looked very good. He looked comfortable. May, not so much, even if it was the plan for him only to go one inning before they got it over to Goslin. But after seeing the Kike Hernandez and Cody Bellinger absolute nukes last night, this Dodgers team, they look rip-roaring, ready to go. Whereas Tampa Bay, you know, they had a very convincing win over the Astros, I thought. But they also haven't played in a couple days. And will that momentum kind of be a factor, you know, with this Dodgers team? Yeah, their pitching won't be as rested, which we can discuss, you know, if that could be a factor. But I think the momentum that they have coming into this may outweigh this. They're obviously the much more talented team on paper, and they truly believe in themselves right now. I think as far as, and it's going to be, it's been a great playoff so far. Two great series, uh, both going seven games. Just incredible. Can't ask for any better. Um, but as far as the rest goes, I think that's really valuable for the Rays. Uh, but just as valuable is that momentum the Dodgers are carrying into this. Uh, if they they got to really believe in themselves now that if they can come back from down three games to one against a great, great Atlanta Braves team, um, and there's no doubt about that. They've been great the last couple of years. They have such a dominant offense, um, just hitters up and down the lineup. Uh, Freddie Freeman, just incredible. To come back from that series, uh, from down 3-1, they have to have all the confidence in the world. They can't feel like they can lose a series right now, I would imagine. And when you have that much talent to go along with that attitude, you're going to be really tough to beat. So the Rays are going to need the extra rest that they've gotten. I think the Rays believe in themselves too. Why wouldn't they? The whole country does right now. And, uh, that seems to be uh, the case that uh, most of the countries behind the Rays uh, in this series. Uh, so they definitely have the expectations are sky high for them 
it's going to be a good series, I think. The Rays have the pitching, the Dodgers have the hitting, um, and then the Rays kind of had that sneaky offense while the Dodgers had that sneaky good pitching. Um, so it's a good matchup for sure, but I just think the momentum, that, as you said, the momentum the Dodgers are riding into this series, I just don't think they're going to be stopped, and I think they might end up actually winning this series in, in maybe five or six games. Um, I just think they're that good a team. I don't think the Rays have the offensive firepower uh, to fight the Dodgers, and I think the Dodgers have won their toughest battle. Um, and I just I think there's just too much firepower on that Dodgers team. They've gone far too long without a World Series for having this kind of talent. If we're looking at this thing realistically, um, I think you, you got to go with L.A. in this World Series. Yeah, I think, you know, on paper, this should not be a, a very close series, like you said. But I think, you know, this wear and tear could be, start to become a factor. It's becoming a factor in that Dodgers bullpen, which has been so dominant for them. You know, Booster Gatorall right now is dealing with some back soreness. He's obviously not a marquee piece of that bullpen. But the fact that they are being limited, um, the injuries go beyond him as well. You know, we'll get to see Clayton Kershaw, you know, coming in for his fifth career World Series start in Game 1 tomorrow night. He's two. He's 1-2 and two with a 540 ERA in his previous um five World Series starts. He didn't look unbelievable. He was fine um, against the Braves in his last start in game four. You know, he gave up four runs in five innings. I thought watching that game, he was better than that stat line indicated. But he has not been, you know, lights out in the World Series. He's put a lot of that to bed, but we got fans now back. He'll have to pitch in front of fans again. Um, you know, we even saw the environment even last night. I know he was in front of fans against the Braves too, um, but we saw those results. But to hear the fans back, you know, after like the Bellinger home run and Mookie Betts again, he had three unbelievable catches in three games. You know, the shoestring catch in game five, unbelievably difficult catch. He makes it look so easy. But to go running full speed and pick a ball right off the grass, you know, while staying on your feet. And then, you know, the one in game six and then again last night, that would have been a pivotal home run to give the Braves another run. You know, the Braves left a lot of runs out there last night, which I think is something that shouldn't be left unmentioned. But, you know, you talk about Clayton Kershaw's, you know, lack of playoff success, I guess you would call it. This Rays team's pretty, um, you know, they don't, I'm mistaken for words here, but they are not proven either. You know, they haven't been in the World Series in 12 years. You know, they don't have a ton of big game experience. Tyler Glass, now a young pitcher, has looked pretty good this playoffs, but his numbers wouldn't indicate it. Again, he's got an ERA in the mid-fours. Blake Snell been much better, and Charlie Morton does have that big game experience. He's not officially listed as the Game 3 starter, but I'd have to imagine it would be Morton going out there for Game 3, um, especially on this rest. Yeah, like you said, this Tampa Bay team should not win this series. The Dodgers back, you know, there's no easy out in their lineup. We've talked about that. When they have when they're starting off innings, you know, with Hernandez in the eight hole hitting a home run, you know, that is just impossible to come back from. You know, you can't take any at bats off against these guys. Cause then before you know it, you'll be looking at Betts, Bellinger, Muncie, and Peterson again, who are all up there swinging the bat quite well, throwing Will Smith too. But I think this Rays team has to realize that, like you mentioned, they have the whole country behind them. They're clearly underdogs here. You know, Charlie Morton being the biggest contract at two years, $30 million total. The Dodgers probably have, I'd venture to guess, 10 contracts bigger than that at least. You know, and they got here in 2008 with David Price and Evan Longoria as big young players. I think it's quite ironic that David Price is now on the Dodgers, even though he's not in this series. Think about if he was. Um, that would be unbelievable. But I think this Rays team knows they're not going to have too many more shots. The Yankees are going to be back good next year. The Red Sox are going to be hopefully improved. The Blue Jays will be much improved in that AL East. And, you know, when guys hit free agency, they won't be able to retain them. So I think they have everything to gain and also everything to lose. This Dodgers team knows in the back of their mind it'll be there next year. The Rays don't. And I think that gives them, you know, a little bit of a mental advantage. They should be more motivated than the Dodgers even though every team should be going all out, it is the World Series. Well, as for the Dodgers team, I mentioned the momentum they have, and they believe in themselves, and they came back from down three games to one against an excellent team. 
Well, if the Rays aren't believing in themselves now, they never will. Um, they have every reason to believe in themselves. Uh, there was, you know, they weren't going to beat the Yankees, and they beat the Yankees. Uh, they weren't going to beat the Astros. It's going to be Astros-Dodgers again, and they beat the Astros. Even though uh, the Astros almost came back from down three games to none, the Rays just weren't having it. Uh, so the Rays, the way and the way they won that series after losing three straight games to, to come out there in, in Game 7 and just take that momentum back and win the game, I mean, that's really good. By by a bunch of guys that really have not been in a moment like this, that could be, you know, way too hard for a lot of a lot of teams in their situation to overcome. And they were able to stay within themselves and find a way to win that game seven. Uh, a lot of credit goes to Kevin Cash. Definitely, I think, the best manager in the American League. Uh, it's hard to say he's not, at least not this year. Um, he's done an incredible job with that team. Um, and they've just found ways to win. They have the pitching. Um, which, uh, you know, we've seen in recent years, maybe until <laughs> last year and this year, pitching is dominated, and the teams with the best pitching are going to beat teams with good hitting all day. This Dodgers team's an exception. One, because their hitting is just beyond insane, and two, because their pitching is good enough to, to keep that insane offense in games. So, you know, there's definitely good pitching up and down this Dodgers team, which makes it such a great matchup. Uh, as we were talking about with Mookie Betts, how he can just take over a game and take over a whole series. That series really changed. We were talking about it on the way over. When Mookie Betts caught that shoestring fly ball off the bat of Dansby Swanson, Marcelo Zuna a little bit off third base, probably thinking the ball's going to drop, as probably did everybody when that ball was hit. Mookie Betts gets there, makes a great catch, uh, so great that it takes a while for him to you know transfer the ball to his hand out of his glove. Um, and I either Ozuna was confused and thought the ball dropped or just forgot to tag up. Whatever it was, a terrible blunder that cost the, cost the Braves a much-needed run there. They could have really had a chance to put the Dodgers down and out of that with three runs. Instead, the Dodgers got the break they needed. They got the momentum back, and their bats started to wake up. Corey Seager hitting a home run in the bottom half of the inning. It really got them going. And you saw some similar things happen in Game 7 with the base running mistakes by the Braves. Um, so definitely helping out the Dodgers on their trip, but still the, the Braves are an incredible team um, and the Dodgers are just a little bit more incredible. It looks like, but I mean, if you don't believe in the Rays now, you're never going to believe in them. So, I mean, this is as good an opponent as the Dodgers are going to face. Maybe, you know, even though they don't, you know, might not have the firepower on offense that the Dodgers do, they still find a way to score runs when they need to. So it might not be your traditional, you know, like kind of that Yankees team with all the household names, but it's just as formidable an opponent as anybody that the Dodgers are facing. Yeah, and I think it's important to go back to the championship series for a sec. You know, this Astros team can come out with their head held high and said, you know, we left it all out on the field and got beat by a better team. I don't think the Braves can say that. Are the Dodgers a better team from than them? Yes, but the Braves shot themselves in the foot multiple times in that series where they could have put the Dodgers, you know, really down or even out. You know, Game 7, they come out and are all over the Dodgers in the first inning. Big double play. You know, the base running blunder, whether that's coming from the dugout or it's coming from Ron Washington as the third base coach, you know, there's a lot of smart minds in that Braves dugout. You cannot be running on con or running on contact yet with no out men on second and third on a hard-hit ball to the third baseman. That's just inexcusable. That's, you know, Little League, Babe Ruth, Legion ball type stuff. It is. You know, that can't be happening in an elimination game. There are just way too many errors. And you give a team like the Dodgers an extra chance or, you know, make them have to score two fewer runs, and they're going to beat you every time. You know, this Braves team should probably be playing for the World Series tomorrow night. But, you know, the blunders were just there. And I think another thing is people are calling for Dave Roberts' job and almost still are. If they, you know, there were talks, if they lose that series, Dave Roberts is gone. Even some of that has continued. If they don't win this World Series, Dave Roberts is gone. You know, I think he's done everything he can um, to get this Dodgers team to where they need to be. You know, I think it'd be a much fairer comparison to call for Brian Snicker's job. You know, as much as that Braves team probably overperformed this year, those blunders ultimately got to fall to him, and someone's got to be accountable for that. And whether it's him, Ron Washington, or you want to try blaming on your players, I think some heads probably got to roll in Atlanta over how bad of a collapse that was, you know, with the base running blunders and just 
mental mistakes that can't happen in big games like that. Well, as you mentioned, you give the Dodgers a chance, they're going to come, you know, they're going to come through the door. That's what they do. That's what good teams do. And that's what great teams like the Dodgers do. They're going to beat you every time you make a mistake like that. And, you know, the biggest thing is that those mistakes by the Braves, they give you so much momentum if you're the Dodgers that it's like, it's almost like, hey, you know, come on, guys, let's wake up. This is our chance. And, you know, they only won the game four to three. So, you know, if if that doesn't happen, you're right. The Braves are probably playing in the World Series. Um, just, you know, mental errors that, you know, just can't happen in crucial situations like that if you expect to win. Now, granted, your other point about the, you know, Snicker and Roberts, I think it's utterly ridiculous to, to even think about firing either one of them. I think oh, for sure. both of them have done an outstanding job. Um, Brian Snicker taking a Braves team, let's start with them, you know, taking a Braves team in 2018 that was suspect, you know, expected to finish in fourth place, maybe best, the Phillies bringing Carlos Santana and uh, Jake Arrieta, they looked improved um, and ended up being the Phillies and Braves at the top of that division for a while. But the Braves won the division. They surprised a lot of people. In 2019, they came out and won 97 games and showed it wasn't a fluke and that they had some of the best younger hitters in all in the game. Uh, in 2020, they were the favorites and you know they, they lived up to expectations. Um, and they finally got out of that first round. They got all the way to, you know, being one game from the World Series. So you can see the progress there in Atlanta. They're such a good team, and Brian Snicker is a large part of the reason why. He's not going anywhere. You, you absolutely can't pin, you know, a, a couple mistakes on, on him, in my opinion. Um, you know, behind closed doors, nobody knows what's being said. But Brian Snicker's done a great job in Atlanta. And, you know, they just choked, plain and simple. You know, they, they choked that series away. They had a chance, and, and they couldn't get it done. Um, as for the Dodgers, um, and I do expect the Braves will be back because of it and better. Mm-hmm. As for the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, he's been to the World Series. He's been to the World Series twice. That Red Sox team, just insane. Probably not a chance to begin with to beat them. The year before against the Astros, they should have won that series. I mean, it's you look at Game 5. That insane game five, I think it was 13-12, the Astros ended up winning in extra innings. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers had a 4-1 to and a 7-4 to lead with Clayton Kershaw on the mound and couldn't hold it. Um, you know, that's a game you have to win. And, you know, Dave Roberts wasn't fired after that World Series or anything. He's been to the World Series. Uh, they've done great under him. I mean, you just can't fire a guy that's had as much success as he has. I think it's more, you know, it goes to show you just how hard it is to win a championship, especially in the MLB. Uh, you could have the best team like the Dodgers did and, and, you know, get so close and just, you know, not show up one night like in Game 7, the 5-1 to one loss to the Astros. And, you know, that's it. That's your whole season right there. So baseball is a game that, that's going to break your heart. And, you know, I think that's a reality that teams and fans need to accept when it doesn't go their way late in the postseason and admire the fact that they got that far. Um, and I think that's the case with both those teams. They've had so much success. I feel like it's too much of a risk to risk changing that for maybe a better chance, per se, of winning a World Series. Yeah, I agree. Again, Snicker, that was definitely not me advocating for his firing, but saying he's definitely more responsible for that loss and deserves some of the blame. Yeah, and absolutely, he needs to be held accountable if, if you know, he didn't have them ready or, you know, prepared with the rules. And But, yeah, I just don't think he should be fired over it but definitely held account some you know there has to be some accountability just to clarify on the dave roberts thing though i think especially if you lose that game last night i think his job at least discussions are on the table um because like you said they've had those chances he's gotten four good shots at it and if he's proven that he can't get it done with this his, his roster i think you definitely do have to start to at least consider looking elsewhere to get that done you know we'll see do i think they get it done this year yes as much as i would not I would like to see Tampa win, but a little exercise, you know, how what Tampa does to win and how they can win, what the Dodgers need to do to win, and then who ultimately wins. I guess I'll start with Tampa. What they need to happen to win is they need to, you know, win low-scoring, close games and just, you know, really pitch the lights out with guys like Glasnow and Snell. You know, Morton's got to continue to defy the odds with his age and go out there and they're going to need some clutch hitting guys like Kevin Kiermaier. I think if they're going to win this series, he's going to have to be a big factor. You know, he hasn't been to the world series. You know, none of these Rays have with the exception of Morton, but he's been around the block enough times where his experience 
is going to have to come through. Guys like Austin Meadows, even G-Man Choi stepped up a lot in this playoff. You know, they're going to need contributions from up and down their lineup. I'm seeing, you know, today's the seven-year anniversary of Shane Victorino's huge grand slam in the ALCS, but it brings up just your depth players needing to play a big role if you're the underdog like they were in that series too. And that's how the Rays win is their depth players. The Dodgers, you know, they just have to keep doing their thing. Keep hitting. The pitching, I think, will be good enough pending Walker Bueller. You know, his hand has seemed fine. You know, it's still an issue, but the blister hasn't really impacted him. He's been lights out. We've seen that the World Series stage has never been an issue for him. You know, as a rookie in 2018, he was lights out against the Red Sox. Um, that was, yeah, game three when he went seven shutout innings as a rookie. You know, he's been real impressive. And I think ultimately after going through this exercise, the Dodgers do pull out this win. You know, I think the the Rays are a better pitching staff, but their offense just isn't there. And the Dodgers pitchers are too good. Your thoughts on how the Rays win, how the Dodgers win, and then ultimately who wins? Well, you really nailed it. I think uh, the Dodgers just have to keep playing to their to their offense. That's their biggest strength. I think it's hard to argue otherwise. Um, whereas their pitching just kind of needs to you know keep that offense in the game and give them a chance. And no matter how good the pitching is, they'll be able to hold their own against even the best pitching. They've been able to absolutely prove that. Um, as for the Rays, their pitching is their strength, and that means they're going to have to play to it. And what that means for that starting rotation is they're going to have to be almost perfect. I mean, let's be real. For what it's going to take to beat this Dodgers team, and, and under these circumstances, the Dodgers having been to the World Series twice in the last, what what is it, three, four years, and coming up short both times, they become more and more due every time. This Rays pitching is going to have to live up to the hype and, and maybe even a little bit beyond it. I'm talking like six, seven inning starts of, shut out one, maybe no more than two runs against this amazing Dodger lineup. And if just, Kevin Cash will leave him in that long. If Yeah, that and that's another big if. We've seen him do a lot. We've seen him go to the bullpen early in, in a couple games, which surprised me. Um, but, you know, you also want to keep these guys fresh, which, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Kevin Cash handles it in a seven-game, you know, World Series, uh, depending on, you know, where they are ahead, behind. Uh, he doesn't tend to pitch his best bullpen pitchers when they're behind in the game. That's what we saw in that Astros series. But that could have been because they were one game away from moving on the whole time. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. But I'm talking, like, really good outings, like almost unblemished. Maybe a you know bad pitch here or there gets hit out. But that's why it's just going to be so tough for this Rays team. Uh, their offense, I wouldn't expect much against this Dodgers pitching. So, But... I think the Rays are going to be in this thing, and to be in this thing, their pitching is going to need to show up uh, and show up big time. And that's why it's going to be so difficult because holding this Dodgers offense to two runs over seven innings, for example, is going to be very, very difficult. Um, and, and I just don't think the Rays, I think their pitching is amazing. Uh, but I think this Dodgers offense is going to win that battle, and I think that's why the Dodgers might win this in a, in a short series. Um, because just because their offense is, it has so much firepower that you can only ask this Rays pitching to do so much. The Dodgers are going to score runs. They've done it against great pitchers, so it's you know you shouldn't expect anything different. Um, but uh, you also mentioned the Rays offense. The Rays are going to have to hit. I mean, I think their pitching is going to keep them in games, but it's not going to be as dominant as they're accustomed to. So they're going to have to win games from behind. They're going to have to score five, six runs a game to be able to win this World Series. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation against a pretty good Dodger, you know, Dodger rotation and bullpen. So it's going to be a tall order for the Rays. I think a taller order for them than, than for the Dodgers, who just have to play to their strength, which is their offense. Um, easier said than done for sure. But I think for the Rays, you know, they got to they got to score runs. They got to you know, score five, six runs a game because their pitching is going to hold the Dodgers, I think, to three to five-ish a lot of games. Um, so the Rays are going to, when they have runners in scoring position and two outs, have to score them. If you don't score them, forget it. I mean, that's just how hard it's going to be for the Rays. They're going to have to come through with runners in scoring position. Hard to judge a series like that. You have to kind of play it game by game and see how it goes. Um, it, but this is just the reality. They're going to have to capitalize on these opportunities or else the Dodgers are going to beat you every time. Yeah, it seems like we're kind of in agreement on this, of a Dodgers win. I'll personally take them in six games. I think the Rays get a couple, which means, you know, game five on Sunday, game six not till next Tuesday, which means 
Hopefully we'll still be talking about the World Series in progress in our next show. Um, not directly related to the games, but something that's come up, it comes up every MLB playoffs, and it's come up again this playoffs, is the timing of these games. You know, they all start a little after 8 o'clock on the East Coast. Most of these games have gone, you know, past 11.30, midnight. It's What are your thoughts on the MLB having all these games at 8 o'clock? That's obviously, you know, potentially good for viewership, but at the same time, no kid on the East Coast is watching these games. And a lot of people, even college kids like us, you know, like, I stopped watching after the seventh inning last night because it was 11.30 on a Sunday night. You know, like, it's just not um, sustainable to have your games all going this late. You know, if you're not a fan of the game, like when the Red Sox Dodgers went to 3.30 in the morning in 2018, yeah, I watched that, but I was a Red Sox fan, you know. And most Red Sox and Dodgers fans did, but they need to get the audience that aren't fans of these teams, but are fans of baseball. And it seems like they're blowing a real opportunity here. I know they have to compete against college football in the NFL, but even like a Friday afternoon game or something just to get a little earlier, even 7 o'clock would probably make a big difference so that all these games aren't going past midnight. Your thoughts on, you know, whether it is a mistake to have them all start at either 8.08 or 8.09, or big difference um, Eastern for all seven of these games. Well, <laughs> that reminds me just a thought on when you have the traditional postseason, you have a lot of those Friday afternoon games. I remember back in high school looking forward to getting out of school and going home and watching some playoff baseball because you didn't have college football to contend with. You didn't have the NFL to contend with. You didn't have the NBA or NHL. It was all MLB for all Fridays, and I, I would just enjoy it so much. Um, this year has definitely kind of thrown everybody for a little little bit of a loop. I get that. Uh, but this discussion actually reminds me of a letter that my dad and I wrote to uh, commissioner at the time, Bud Seeley, uh, about this very issue to move up the times of games. Because when I was a, a young kid, I just would not be allowed to stay up for these games. And, you know, that's when my beloved Phillies were in the playoffs just about every year playing those late games. So I've always been against the, the super late games. And you can't imagine, I was watching the end of that. I did get to see the end of game seven last night. Um, but at that point, it was, you know, after midnight, I believe, or right around it. And, you know, a lot of people are, are in bed. A lot of people just can't watch at that time. And you're not going to be getting, you know, the viewership that you need, uh, especially to compete with these, you know, maybe higher profile sports. Um, so I, I would definitely be in agreement with, with the MLB considering at least moving up these start times. Um, they've tried changing the game, I think, a bit too much with speeding it up and, you know, reducing the mound visits and, and the amount of time. And, you know, who knows what could be next? Foul ball, third strike foul balls. I mean, I don't even want to say it and, you know, have ideas even be spread around uh, because they have to stop changing the game and they have to start changing the times. So I'm in agree with, agreement with you on that. There's no reason really why that game couldn't have started at 7 o'clock. You have a lot of the 4 o'clock NFL games just about ending uh, you have that gap between the 7 and 8 for the NFL. Why start at 8? Why start at the same time as an NFL game when your game is going to go? Let's face it, these playoff games with all the pitching changes and whatnot, they're going to go long. And, you know, it's just not sustainable, I don't, I think, for the MLB. Why would you start with an 8 o'clock NFL game? It's just beyond me. So totally in agreement with you there. I, I don't see it. Yeah, and like you said, it – these games are going to go long, and that's the World Series, and no one's expecting a quick game here. But, you know, you also have your off days on Monday and Thursday, which, again, makes sense. Those are two NFL days, but, you know, if you're so concerned about going up against the NFL or college football, take one of those days off and give us a game on Monday a little earlier. People watch that before Monday Night Football, and if it's a good game, chances are they'll stick with it. And I believe the Bucs are playing Sunday Night Football this week. So you're going up against, in the Tampa market even, um, <laughs> you're going up against, you know, one of your fan bases who should pull a huge rating for you. So it just seems like a total missed opportunity for the MLB. You know, the NBA is over. The NHL is over. People should be starting to go back towards baseball. And they're really blowing an opportunity here. And every year it seems to be the case. And every year it's one more blown opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, and I didn't even know that about the Tampa Bay market, you know, having the Tampa Bay Sunday night game, I didn't even know that, um, and it just, it's it's confusing to me, I mean, it's avoidable, That's it's not like, you know, a certain game has to be held at a certain time, I mean, ultimately I'm just a college student, what do I know ultimately, 
But it just seems like, you know, there's no reason why these games couldn't be held at different times. Or, you know, I understand that people do work late shifts and, you know, are getting out of work late. And, you know, the, but, you know, you also have a lot of people kind of penned up in their homes, you know, in quarantine looking for, you know, st something to do, looking for, you know, a game to come on right after maybe their workday ends around 5 o'clock. I mean, I, I just... Uh, with this, you know, strangeness to this year, the MLB, I'm surprised that the MLB has not really adapted very well to that with these late start times. And, you know, they really are going to, I mean, Tampa Bay is not a big baseball market to begin with. You don't really get a whole lot of fans at their, at their games throughout the summer. They show up in the playoffs. They will be watching this World Series, <laughs> make no mistake. But, I mean, it, I, like you said, ultimately, you know, they're going to get viewers, but it's going to be a missed opportunity. They could have so much more if they just manage this a little better, I think, as far as start times and, you know, actual game days. I mean, usually we see the World Series ending at the very end of October. They go right right up to Halloween. It doesn't look like that might happen this year. Um, so I just don't I just don't see why you don't use all the time. I mean, just to have a game uh, on that night with the with the Buccaneers playing that like that splits a whole market up. I just don't understand it. Yeah, they're obviously pulling again. You know, we also we can't have games too early on the West Coast with LA probably being the biggest market of watching games. But a four o'clock even on a Friday on the West Coast, you're going to yeah. get the big viewers. You're going to get people to view. That's the thing. I mean, especially with the Dodgers being in the World Series. I mean, they were out there that they had. I remember back in 2017 and 2018, they had that place filled up at five o'clock, mm -hmm. well before. I mean, people are going to watch. It's, it's the World Series. People are going to make the effort and do what it takes to watch the game, even if it's a little earlier than they might like. And then you can capitalize on the entire East Coast market, which, you know, you're going to get your big viewers on both the coasts. So I understand appealing to one heavily being the West Coast as, you know, that is probably where you can get the most viewers, at least per capita. But you're kind of leaving the East Coast out in the dark, literally at night. It's um, a tough situation, too, with the East Coast team against the West Coast team has to be a big headache for the MLB. But uh, nonetheless, it, it should be great for publicity as far as it being a great series. So I, I, I'm in agreement. Yeah, we are looking forward to a good one here. We'll get into all of it next week, whether the World Series is still going or over. But we are just past the bottom of the hour here on the Spinner on Sports on 89.1 FM WXVU Villanova Radio, which means it's time for a sports update. We'll go to the NFL, where this game has been broken open. Two big Dallas fumbles have, will both turn into touchdowns by the Arizona Cardinals, and they lead 21 to nothing with 3.04 to go in the second quarter. This game being led Kyler Murray, 8 of 19 for 128 yards, two touchdowns to lead the way for the Cardinals. Earlier tonight in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills at home against Kansas City fell 26-17. We just touched on the World Series, which gets underway tomorrow in Arlington, Texas, where Tyler Glasnow will take the hill for the Rays against Clayton Kershaw and the Los Angeles Dodgers. That game, as we just discussed, starting at 8.09 on the East Coast. In other sports news today, Kyle Larson's indefinite suspension was terminated by NASCAR effective January 1st, and Doc Emmerich has retired after 47 years at the helm of NHL broadcasting. Those are the WXVU sports headlines. We'll get your next headlines next Monday at 8 o'clock. 8.30 at the top of our show. All right, Ryan, we have about 10 minutes left here. I know last week we really tried to talk about the NBA, but um, just ran out of time as things were crazy with the ALCS and the NLCS, you know, down to one series that saves a little bit of time there. You know, your initial thoughts on the NBA Finals, even if it is a couple weeks later. Well, can I just say that the Dallas Cowboys could lose the night and be 2-4 and four and be alone in first place. Is this not the worst division in professional sports? <laughs> Just to put that out there. Yeah, I think that's a very valid thing, and certainly you think a hot take, but definitely not at all. You know, this, you know, the New York Giants are back in it with a big win this week <laughs> over Washington. And, and they're a game out of the division. Just unbelievable. I mean, that should never be. I mean, it's unbelievable. It makes me, makes my stomach crawl as an Eagles fan. Um, <laughs> Only a half game out. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Could be tied for first this week. Yeah. Um, 
That's how it goes, though. Um, so how about with the, the NBA and NHL? You have the uh, L.A. champion in the NBA and the uh, Tampa Bay champion in the NHL. So I guess uh, to take two out of three, the World Series is the, the rubber match there, I guess. Uh, so definitely good times in, in those two cities, regardless of who the winner is, although it'll be much better for the winner getting two championships uh, post-corona uh, you know, sports coming back, uh, which is really incredible. Um, so congratulations to those two cities and their fan bases. Uh, probably the most exciting times we've ever had in Tampa Bay. Um, <laughs> Not that that's saying much. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, just incredible with all, all three of their teams down there uh, doing absolutely wonderfully. Um, and I guess even if Miami, they root for the Heat, uh, who were in the NBA Finals as well, uh, which we're going to get to. So the Lakers, um, just the best team. I mean, Jimmy Butler really tried. I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to that Miami Heat team. Losing Bam Adebayo, um, who did, I don't know if he came back at the end of the series, but if he did, he was hurt the whole time. Goran Dragic, I don't think he made a return. No. Um, so, you know, when you lose players of that caliber, it just, I mean, it makes it that much harder. And to me, for them to have won two games with the Lakers playing at such a high level, they're already a dominant team. But when you're a dominant team that, that has meshed the way they mesh and they have the depth the way they do, LeBron and AD, two of the most unselfish guys I've seen in a long time with that kind of talent. They played so well together all season. Uh, it makes it just that much harder. So for them to have actually won two games just shows you how incredible a coach Eric Spolster is, how incredible a player Jimmy Butler is, um, and how incredible a team the Miami Heat are. But the Lakers are just the best team. They dominated this thing. Um from the very beginning, I don't think Adebayo or Dragic would have made that huge of a difference. Like, I think the, the Heat played so well without them that how much of a difference would it have even made? <laughs> the Lakers, are they just dominated the, the NBA all year. It's only fitting that they dominate the bubble, too. And LeBron gets himself another championship. AD gets that, you know, long-awaited championship. And... Uh, they were just the best team, and, and it's good to see the championship go to the best team. Lakers fans have waited a long time to be in this moment. I uh, sure wish it could have been in front of their fans at the Staples Center, um, but it's 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 nice uh, what happened, especially given the tragic news with Kobe Bryant back in January. Uh, so for them to bring home a championship just makes it all the more emotional, one of the more emotional runs I've seen. Yeah, for sure. I think also this Lakers team, they pull a lot of comparisons to the, the Los Angeles Dodgers across the city. And we talked about earlier, you know, strong favorites, big regular season. You know, they bring in a brand new superstar in Anthony Davis, you know, recently. You know, you can draw that comparison across to Mookie Betts. Um, they haven't gotten it done. You know, it's, it's been a whole 10 years, I think, since they last won, which for the Lakers fans probably felt like an eternity. But I think, you know, good for them for getting it done. They were in the bubble for over 100 days, which you just rack up that much time down there. It's got to be tough, and give them credit. You know, there's no asterisk next to this championship. If there is, it's because of how much more difficult it truly was. And I think, you know, like you said, the Heat had their injuries. You know, would they have obviously loved to have their full team? Of course, but were the Lakers going to win this all along? Definitely. And I think, you know, like you said, the best team won. We'll see if L.A. is celebrating their second championship or if it will be Tampa. I think that's something very interesting to look into as we see. Um, quickly, not to change topic too much, even though I'm about to. Um, one thing we missed in the NFL is Le'Veon Bell was cut this week. And that was huge news for a guy who sat out for an entire season Take free agency, signs a $52 million contract with the Jets. He made about $27 million of that, and now is cut not too long after. Um, and after putting up pretty bad numbers with the Jets, you know, I saw a thing about how the team that needs a Le'Veon Bell is the New York Jets, you know. And the fact that that went so poorly is just a reflection on, A, Le'Veon Bell, but also the New York Jets. And now he lands in Kansas City, I did not see if he had a big impact. I don't believe he did because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had such a big game for the um, Chiefs. But your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell and really, you know, will he ever get back to where he was with the Steelers? I don't think he will. And this will always be one of the biggest question marks ever. You know, he probably traded a trip to Canton for $27 million. 
Yeah, it's always been. I've never been a Le'Veon Bell fan, and and for me, the reason for that is it's always been. It's it's always nothing's ever been enough for him. It feels like it's not enough to win. It's not enough to be a great player. For him, it's always been about money and about you know fame and popularity and and you know making sure he's getting his his touches in the offense. Um, and you know when that when things weren't going according to plan with the way things happened up in New York with Adam Gase. Well, I felt like, you know, you should have seen that coming. I mean, you know, that's just the way, that's just the way it was going to be. Um, and, you know, Adam Gase, you know, a lot of blame falls on him as well. Um, just really, I mean, he hasn't been given anything, but he's not doing anything to make it better. Um, in my humble opinion, he's done a terrible job uh, as head coach of the Jets. Um, Very accurate. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, Neither really, uh, it's just a mess, the whole situation with Le'Veon in New York. But, you know, that, that chapter is behind us, thankfully. Um, it's just a headache to even think about. But, uh, you know, Le'Veon did need to get out of there. I'm not impressed with the way he went about it. But at the same time, I'm not surprised. I just think, uh, you know, it's always been about, you know, the drama for Le'Veon Bell. I mean, it's hard to argue otherwise. Uh, and he did chase the money. Uh, but now in Kansas City, it looks like he's he's set on on getting that ring, uh, no matter how he needs to, uh, going to the obvious favorite, um, knowing that they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there, um, knowing that he could be splitting touches um, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, but it's a good signing for the Chiefs, who really needed help uh, in the red zone. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been terrible in the red zone. Uh, and when you become one-dimensional in that area of the field against better defenses like maybe the Ravens or Steelers down the road or Titans, that can cost you if you can't run the ball in the red zone. You need those, you know, if you have first and goal from the seven-yard line and your first run play goes back three yards and you're it's second and ten and you just can't complete the pass from there, you know, and you have to settle for a field goal, you know, that can be the difference in whether or not you win a Super Bowl. So a good signing for the Chiefs, I think he'll get, uh, I think he'll dominate the touches in the red zone, um, but I think it'll be strictly committee with him and Edwards Hilaire. Um, but as far as Le'Veon Bell wanting to win, I think this was the right decision. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we'll see if it works out for him and whether he can truly flip the mindset to be the second-tier guy. You know, Edwards Hilaire today showed no signs of slowing down. Bell, I do not believe, was active yet, which, again, makes sense. Um, but he's going to have to fight for every touch he gets there. It will, nothing will be given to him. Uh, quick thought of the couple minutes left. I know we talked about it in the headlines, but Doc Emmerich retired today. Um, you know, he's really been the voice of hockey in America, at least our entire lifetime. You think of all the big moments that have happened in the NHL and hockey in general, whether it's the Vancouver Olympics um, gold medal game, that game against the Russians in 2014 with TJ Oshie, all the Stanley Cup finals. Those have all had one common theme to them, and it's been that he's been calling it. Um, he's obviously still going to contribute to NBC in other ways than announcing, which is great. Um, he's too much of a talent and a hockey mind. It's nice that he'll still be involved in a way as he enjoys his much well-deserved retirement, but I just can't go the show without saying how much of a difference he's made in the NHL and really bringing that game to so many more people. Yeah, and it's it's almost like an injustice to only give Mike Emmerich one or two minutes of this show. I mean, he's, he's just that there's just so much to talk about, but he is just, he was amazing. I mean, he's the voice of hockey. He's going to be so missed. Nobody's ever going to do it like him. I mean, nope. just, uh, I Vince mean, Scully's the only comparison for baseball yeah. as what his impact was. I mean, nobody is going to do it quite like he did. And, uh, you know, turning on the TV and, and, you know, a lot of people would just listen to hockey just to listen to him and, and it wasn't even as much about the hockey. He made it exciting. He made uh, he made the sport so much more exciting. Such a great ambassador for the game. Um, and he's going to be missed. Uh, and to Mike Emmerich, uh, congratulations on your retirement. And you know, well deserved. Uh, and yeah, thanks for the years. I mean, it's going to it's he's going to be missed. It's going to be a big void there. So uh, definitely, uh, yeah, shout out to him and his family. And you know, well deserved uh, retirement. For sure, you know, I can I'll always remember his, I think his most iconic call, at least for me, game six of the Easter Conference final in 2011, Tim Thomas' save on Steve Downey. 
Oh, and it wouldn't go. You know, that'll always just be legendary <laughs> from him. All the random verbs he came up with to describe a yeah. hockey puck moving. <laughs> but we are unfortunately out of time tonight. Another great show, Ryan. Um, always a treat, as always. We'll be back next week talking about the World Series. Will Game 5 just ended the World Series? Or will we be preparing for a Tuesday night Game 6? We also talked about all the great matchups in Week 7 of the NFL will be a little bit closer to free agency in the NBA and college basketball with the Big East now planning to start December 11th. We'll start to get into more of that too. Any last thoughts, Ryan, quick before we are out? Congratulations to Doc. One of the best to ever do it. Fitting way to end the show for sure. A true legend of the sports media business. And if you missed any of the show, minus the first 10 minutes that I forgot to record, it'll be up on Spotify. Generally takes about a day. So look for that tomorrow by searching the spin around sports on Spotify or anywhere else podcasts are found like Google Podcasts and Anchor. This was the Spin Around Sports. We'll be back next week at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on WXVU 89.1 FM Villanova Radio.